0: What is adventure education? I realize that as I've, we've gone over 100 episodes of this podcast, this topic hasn't ever really come up. We've talked about why you might want to do it. We've talked about the benefits of it. but We've not really, really stated what it is. So I'm going to go into some of this stuff. And I'm going to be reading from different sources. So I will make sure that I'm telling you where I'm reading this stuff from. First, let's tackle adventure education. Wow, what a way to say that! (laughs) A big pause in the edger. Adventure education is the promotion of learning through adventure centered experiences. So, Mike Gass and Simon Priest, in their 2005 book, Effective Leadership in Adventure Programming, write that adventure centered experiences can include a wide variety of activities due to the different ways people experience adventure. Outdoor sports, challenge courses, races, and even indoor activities can be used in adventure education. Adventure education is related to adventure programming, adventure therapy, and outdoor education. It is an active process rather than a passive process of learning that requires active engagement from the learners as well as the instructors. This next sentence comes from John C. Miles and Simon Priest's book, Adventure Programming, that was published in 1999. And it states, Often adventure education is linked to an incorporation of all five senses within the experiences which can heighten the opportunities for learning and retaining information. The learning experiences within adventure education programs are structured for a potential increase in human performance and capacity. Sometimes the adventure lies more in the journey than the destination. The venture lies in the struggle, not in the prize. For us, we use adventure education in terms of challenge course programming. The only thing as I read that, that I want to not critique, but I just add my lens to, is the idea of ed- of outdoor education. It's something that I've talked about when it relates to experiential education, that we often mash those together, that adventure education is an outdoor pursuit or that experiential education is an outdoor pursuit. And so what we do at High Five is not only do we build challenge courses in the outside. We also build indoor challenge courses and we do adventure programming in the classroom with the schools that we work with. We also do that when we work with sports teams and we work with corporate groups. We do stuff outside for sure. But it's not limited to that. And so my only challenge is just from a frame of reference that sometimes when we talk about adventure education or I try to describe that to someone who doesn't work in this industry that their thought process goes to the outdoors oh you must do x y and z no in that adventure education it doesn't talk about things like skydiving whitewater rafting backpacking trips uh, mountaineering it doesn't talk about those things but i think sometimes the external lay person i don't know if <laughs> lay person that's a they mention that in magic So someone who's unsure of the magic, but I've referred to things about muggles. Anyway, people who don't know our industry might assume that those things are the case, that we're outside. Merriam-Webster defines adventure as an undertaking usually involving danger and unknown risks. Danger is defined as exposure or liability to injury, pain, harm, or loss. Danger involves two factors which are perils. The origins of injury or the causes of losses and hazards. The condition that emphasize the chance of injury or loss. Risk is defined as potential loss or injury. Risk can be described as real risk or perceived risk. Now, we have several moments on a challenge course an example where there's a very big difference between the perception of risk and the actual risk, the real risk that people might experience. Interesting enough, I think that in this kind of definition of danger and risk, what we don't necessarily have included in this is the concept of emotional or social risk. So either the way it affects our emotional or mental state, the actions that we do there, and the social risk being how do we look in relationship to others and peers that we may be working with. So, once again, I think sometimes adventure has the physical risk component with that mindset, but not necessarily explicitly defining risk in terms of emotional or mental risk. The reason, the only reason I'm bringing all this stuff up is I think these are good terms to talk about and think about. If you Listened any of this and you're like, well, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Let me know. Um, I'd love to talk more about this because I think that if we go back to the core of what we do and we talk about the definitions and the framing, then that allows us to be able to talk more broadly and we can also analyze maybe why people think a certain thing about our industry who are outside of it and how do we bring more people in. Outcomes, the outcomes of adventure education programming. So this is coming from a journal article titled Adventure Education and Outwards Bound, Out-of-Class Experiences That Make a Lasting Difference, published in 1997 by John Hattie, H.W. Marsh, James T. Neal, and Gary E. Richards. And what they're talking about in terms of outcomes They mentioned that adventure education has many positive outcomes. A meta-analysis of adventure education studies identified 40 major outcomes grouped into the following six categories. Leadership, self-concept, academic, personality, interpersonal, and adventuresomeness. Priest and Miles in Adventure Programming also mentioned that adventure education often employs practical skills that will benefit an individual in areas beyond the activities in an adventure program. There are three theories of transfer in adventure education in which the participant may apply what they learned into future experiences. The first of these is specific transfer. The learner applies the habits and skills learned during an experience to a new and similar experience. As an example, when an individual learns how to belay and then applies some of that knowledge to rappelling. The second theory is non specific transfer. The learner establishes some common principles acquired through previous experiences and applies them in a new learning situation. An example is when an individual develops trust through a trust building activity. And the third theory is metaphoric transfer. The learner applies similar underlying principles to other areas and situations. An example is when individuals utilize teamwork during an activity such as canoeing and later apply it to the workplace or other group experience. So specific transfer, non-specific transfer, and metaphoric transfer. And the last thing I'm going to mention is or talk about are considered the program characteristics that contribute to program outcomes as defined by Marsha McKenzie from the University of Melbourne who uh, wrote an article titled How Are Adventure Education Program Outcomes Achieved. Marsha describes that there are six categories of program characteristics that contribute to achieving the program outcomes described. These are Physical environment, activities, processing, the group, instructors, and the participant. Let's look at each of those individually. Physical environment. Unfamiliar environments contribute a great deal to program outcomes experienced by adventure education participants. Being in a new environment allows participants to gain new perspectives on familiar environments and gives them the freedom to experiment. An unfamiliar environment also creates some level anxiety for the participant as well as creating the perception of risk. Overcoming the challenges presented by unfamiliar environments through the mastery of specific tasks results in positive benefits to the individual such as an increased self-esteem Positive outcomes are offered by several types of environments, including wilderness, non-wilderness, that's defined there as ropes courses, or a traditional classroom, like the introduction of that. However, wilderness is often considered as providing additional benefits to participants, thus being the optimal environment setting for adventure education programs. My thoughts around that and the reasoning I think that that's described in that way is that it's novel right? Like there's something novel to taking a group out if they're in their environment and bring it into others. For the longest time, I used to teach outdoor education at a site that would bring in students from a school and bus them over to our facility, and we would do stuff outside. Realistically, I could have done some of the same things in their classroom, but the novelness of the environment, I think, contributes to that, in, that change in the environment, which creates a different experience. Yeah, that's my take there. Next is activities, Rather than activities themselves, it's the qualities of activities that are responsible for achieving program outcomes. The combination of challenge, mastery, and success in activities is what led to participant growth. Challenges should be holistic in order to maximize positive outcomes. Programs should include mental, emotional, and physical challenges and encourage concurrent mastery in all three domains. Challenges should also increase incrementally so as not to overwhelm participants early on in the program but allow them to grow and develop throughout. Activities should be well organized and matched to suit the particular needs and requirements of the participants. Success in the activities must be achievable. I challenge that. I often refer to challenge courses as challenge courses, not success courses. I think know your group, understand your group. But sometimes you you get to delve deeper and talk about things more if success does not occur. And the reality is success isn't an outcome of our everyday life. So if we're really truly trying to increase the learning that is transferable to the outside world, success in all activities, from my perspective, doesn't need, necessarily need to be achievable. I, I temper that thought because I also think that you shouldn't be setting People or groups up to fail. So uh, I'm going to go back on myself. Success in the activities must be achievable. I would say that your activity should have a success outcome, but whether or not that's achievable, but with that group, yeah. Anyway, I'm not going to ramble anymore on that. However, some failure may also be good for participant development. Well, if I just literally read the next line, the impatience of my brain. Program participants can learn from their failures to achieve success. Goal setting is critical to achieving program outcomes at both the individual and group levels. It is also important to allow participants to have personal choice related to activities. The challenge by choice philosophy of adventure programming allows the participants to have some autonomy related to the activities that they participate in. While the qualities of activities are most important in achieving program outcomes, there are also, also specific activities that are well suited to adventure programming. These include activities related to trust and empathy, communication, decision-making, and problem-solving, social responsibility, and personal responsibility. All I, all I keep thinking as I'm reading this is like, wow, how cool is, st- is the work that we do? All of those things are true, and all of those things are super helpful. Anyway, next, processing. Processing is defined as the sorting and ordering of information that enables program participants to internalize meaning gained from an adventure education experience. Three models have been identified by which participants process meaning. In the Mountains Speak for Themselves model, participants are responsible for reflecting on their experiences on their own without facilitation from the instructor. In the Outward Bound Plus model, the instructor serves as a counselor, facilitator, and discussion leader. In the metaphorical model, activities are consciously framed so that they become experiential metaphors that can be applied to challenges in participants' daily lives. Interesting enough, this is where I feel like jargon in our industry comes into play. Processing, debriefing, reflecting, all these words synonymous with each other, but do people understand what we mean when we say these things? The group. Several characteristics of the group also contribute to achieving program outcomes. In terms of the size of the group, small groups of 7 to 15 individuals are usually more conducive to achieving desired outcomes. Reciprocity within the group is also important. This refers to group members learning to cooperate with one another and capitalize on the strengths of each individual. Autonomy of individuals and personal relationships are other aspects of the group that contribute to achievement. Check out previous episodes where we've talked about reading your group, being able to assess the group. That's the awesome thing for me as a as a trainer and a facilitator is the group is always different. Even if my set goals and my agenda is the same, I'm really not going to be able to know how this is going to work out or play out until I meet the group. Instructors. Certain aspects of program instructors such as biographical characteristics, personality and interpersonal interactions can have a large influence on participants' achievement of desired program outcomes. Instructors may be required to have a bachelor's degree in outdoor leadership to instruct at most universities and community colleges. Instructors may also be required to hold certain certifications in Wilderness First Responder, American Mountain Guide Single Pitch Instructor, and American Canoe Association Whitewater Instructor Certification, among many others, including Association for Challenge Course Technology. Check out our episode entitled Certification when we talk about certification in more detail. This is my personal thing. I don't have a degree in this industry. So I always, when I think of job requirements in our field, when I think of degrees in the industry, it's a challenge for me to be able to talk about from a perspective of when I have a student who's going through a program and saying this is this essential I have a i I don't have a degree in this industry and yet I work in it, so I think that experience is very valuable. the constant pursuit for knowledge is helpful. That's where I get excited like I'm constantly wanting to learn more and I do think and I am pro certification in terms of um, an assessment of skill and it also demonstrates a desire to learn and progress in the industry. So I think that those things are awesome. Next is the participant. The age, gender, background, and expectations of program participants have also been shown to be related to the achievement of program outcomes. Depending on the program a student is in, the program may require the student to be autonomous during expeditionary courses. Student autonomy can be beneficial to students by enhancing personal growth an increase in self-reliance and enhancing the overall group experience. However, student autonomy is considered to be controversial in regards to outdoor adventure educational programs due to risk management concerns. Yet it is recommended that the instructors of these types of programs must fully understand the risks of student autonomy prior to implementing them as part of an adventure program. Now this is coming from the Journal of Experiential Education. I think once again that this discussion focuses on expeditionary programming which may not be applicable to us, but obviously each individual participant in a program will have some bearing on the outcomes of the group, so all things to be considering when running programming. I will also add Journal for Experiential Education is a really awesome resource in our industry. If you want to read and learn more, sometimes they can be hard to read and understand entirely. I believe personally that the academic industry does have a barrier in terms of the words they use and the way that they phrase it, which makes it hard for people who are less able to understand that learning to be able to read that and understand what's being said. Yeah, that's my two cents there. Anyway, I hope this was helpful. Oh, I was going to mention this concept. I'm just intrigued by this. Learning versus education so as an example i've heard people say adventure learning you know i work for the high five adventure learning center and people refer to adventure education and they use them the same when i did a little bit of digging in the in the interwebs i found this definition between learning and education which i felt was helpful in my mind that there are two differences Learning refers to an intellectual process of acquiring new skills and knowledge through experience, study, or teaching. Education is an enlightening process of receiving and providing knowledge through systematic instruction. That learning is a natural process and education is a deliberate process. And in the learning guidance may or may not be required but in education guidance is required. So it feels to me in terms of the defining words there that the learning is the process that individuals go through through the experience and education is where an individual guides that process and illuminates some of the learning that someone may have occurred in the experience. So those things are different from reading this and so That's my mindset that I'm going in with when I consider learning and education. Maybe you found this interesting. Let me know. Um, You can always connect with me via Instagram at Vertical Playpen or send in any questions or email me at podcast at highfiveadventure.org. Always happy to connect with people who are listening. Okay, thanks for listening, everyone. listening to Vertical Play camp. And then what about Thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast Can you do it? Okay, try Thanks for giving i think a papa guy <laughs>